Welcome to the Matthias Barker Podcast, everybody. Happy that you're here. Uh, my name is Matthias. I'm a psychotherapist from Spokane, Washington. No, I'm not. Um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> I'm still used to saying I'm from Spokane, though. I recently moved. Uh, my family and I, we moved down to Nashville, Tennessee recently, and so I'm still used to, I lived in Spokane for 10 years, still used to saying I'm from Spokane. I guess I, uh, I still need to reprogram the muscle memory. All right. <laughs> anyway, okay, so Hillary McBride is on the podcast today. I'm so excited about this. Um, she's someone who was really a huge part of me becoming a therapist. So as I was contemplating career and and the prospect of, you know, the helping field, uh, just listening to her work, both on her podcast, um, other people's problems, and reading her books, um, yeah, she really inspired me. I loved her approach. I loved her approach to healing and therapy, and she's consistently been someone I've looked up to and, and really taken a lead from on becoming a psychotherapist and, and helping people. So uh, really care about her. Really, really thankful to have her on the podcast. It's fun talking to your heroes. Uh, she wrote a book recently, The Wisdom of Your Body. Make sure to check that out. We have a fun conversation. It's about like, I didn't even really anticipate having this conversation. It wasn't, I didn't go in with a, with a topic in mind. I just kind of wanted to lean into some spontaneity. And, and what kind of came up was you know, we're in this season where therapists increasingly are having online presence and um, whether that's social media pages, whether that's, you know, a LinkedIn profile, you know, when people are looking for a therapist, they're looking at their online presence and trying to kind of get a, a feel for what they're like and trying to understand what their approach is going to be like, kind of what they can expect if they were to go into a therapy session. And and so we talked about that. We talked about what does therapy increasingly moving online, what is the effect of that? What are the impacts of the therapeutic relationship starting online and what does that do to the relationship between the client and the therapist and and we also just discussed you know therapy moving increasingly onto zoom and online platforms doing video conferencing for therapy and is that the same you know which i thought would be an interesting conversation to have with someone who specializes in embodiments like do you think that there's something lost you know, if you do an online session with a therapist, or do you think in person's better, or can both, you know, have their redeeming qualities, and and so we explore all of that. I really, it was a fascinating conversation for me, because I think that there's a shift happening in our culture with technology around how people access therapeutic care, and there's a lot of ethical considerations, pragmatic considerations, um, that are kind of being, I don't know, laid out as we speak, you know, so it was, it was fun to speak with her about all this, and to even do some personal reflection about what the shift to online and even people coming into a therapeutic relationship, kind of knowing essentially who I am and, and how that's shifted and changed for me when even just a couple years ago, um, every single one of my clients who signed up for therapy had no idea who I was. And so you're kind of coming in with a blank slate. And and so um, it's not it's not just a reflection, you know, from the therapist's point of view, but we even really kind of explore, you know, as a client, as someone who's seeking therapy, what are the implications there? And and how do you, you know, kind of navigate an increasingly complex field of technology and seeking therapy? So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. If you would like an ad-free version of this podcast, you can always sign up at my Patreon for five bucks a month. And in addition, you'll get guided meditations. That's cool. So once a month, I come out with a guided meditation about trauma healing or about identity or confidence or something in that world. And uh, you'll get those just kind of loaded right into your regular feed. So when you sign up, it just kind of puts the ad-free version just in your regular podcast viewing app. And so um, you can still listen on Apple Podcasts or whatever just to the regular podcast feed. But instead, it won't have ads. So check that out if you'd like. Here's a couple words from our sponsors. 
The things that have the biggest impact on our mental health are the small, seemingly insignificant habits that we repeat every single day. And one habit that I have incorporated these last couple of years has been taking vitamins and supplements. And, and I, I quickly learned that if you want to get in everything that you feel like you should be getting in, you're looking at like a couple handfuls of pills. And so last year, I really started to look around for like a powder, something that I could mix into like a smoothie or water or something. And I found AG1 by Athletic Greens, and I really love it. It has 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, greens, vegetables, uh, probiotics. And they're always working off the latest science and supplementation and nutrition too. Like I really appreciated that they have a habit of going through third-party testing on a regular basis so that you know that the powder is actually like what's advertised. So if, if you're looking to incorporate something like that into your daily routine, I, I really recommend it. It's easy, it's affordable, and you can sign up at athleticgreens.com barker. And when you do that, you'll get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs as well with your first purchase. This podcast is brought to you by Inside Tracker. I reached out to them because I really think they have a unique place in the health industry. They analyze your blood and your DNA work, um, but instead of just sending you this big list of like, I don't know, these different levels of vitamins and minerals and deficiencies and insufficiencies, and then you're left to like Google all these things and figure out which supplements match it or figure out how to fix it. They actually build you a personalized plan um, with the right kinds of supplements, the right kind of nutrition and exercise that's going to improve your health that's really specified for your body in particular. And I think that's, that's really unique. So, you know, there's tons of different recommendations out there, right? There's tons of different vitamins and supplements and, and people telling you what you should and shouldn't be taking. But what's cool about Inside Tracker is they build you a personalized plan that's based off of your body, that's based off of your own blood work. So for a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Um, just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Matthias. Hillary, it's so great to have you back on. I'm just Thank so thankful you. to get to talk to you again. Um, you know, I've said this in our first meeting, but maybe there's some people listening that haven't heard that first conversation, just um, how much I admire your work and how in a lot of ways your work was something that pushed me into psychotherapy, even mm. before the idea of being a therapist was even on my mind, just listening to your work and your podcast and reading your books. I was like, oh man, the way that mm. she does this, this seems like such a meaningful career and such meaningful work. And so uh, getting to talk oh. to you is always just full of meaning and excitement for me. Thank you so much. That That is so rich for me to hear. <laughs> it's like, I, you, I mean, you know this, aside from the public-facing nature of our work, so much of what we do is just with a person in a yeah. room. There's just us and the person. And so to know that mm-hmm. our work stretches into the lives of other people, it feels like, I mean, I'm, I'm just noticing feeling really touched by that. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah, it is. It's a very private job mm-hmm. in some ways. And, and you know, this too, just kind of having a public presence in addition to your private practice is those two worlds sometimes feel very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. There's a lot of and contrast. Adults with each other. Yeah. How have you experienced that? Gosh, well, I mean, just like I mentioned the sense that I am even my, my podcast, other people's problems is, is something that goes into the ears of people all across the world, but it, where it comes from is me just sitting in a room with another person. So there's a sense of like, it is so intimate and yet it's so public. And then I think, of course, I always struggle with the the complexity of the ethical pieces. How do we do right by um, our mandate to care about public mental health, which is part of, at least in Canada, our Canadian ethical codes a responsibility to society, but also how do we protect people's privacy and protect our own well-being as persons of the therapist? And, and how do we do right by our use of, media in a way that's, um, 
kind of enhancing to the world around us, but doesn't mm-hmm. strip something from us as professionals or cross certain kind of ethical boundaries or lines. So, I mean, I'm just feel like I'm in the, the mix and the soup of all of it, but I feel mm-hmm. like I'm really lucky to be given a position in people's lives, regardless of what happens in a public way, where I have the right and the privilege of sitting with people um, and being with them through powerful, hard, and beautiful stuff. I don't know if there's anything more precious than that in the whole world. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt that like, that both pieces were so important. Like there was a a short season when I was kind of switching over from working at a group practice to starting my own Mm -hmm. private practice, where I took like kind of a month and a half off from seeing clients and just noticing the, the part of me that was just so missed actually just like being in the room face to face with people Mm. and how malnourished I felt (laughs) Mm -hmm. even as a professional without, without that, uh, contact. Cause Mm -hmm. there's in, in a lot of ways, I feel like our, our work publicly, even this stuff that we do online, whether that's writing or making videos is such a reflection and, sits in the basin of the actual work itself meeting in an embodied way with people. Mm-hmm. And I don't Absolutely. know, they just, they feel attached yet different. So. Mm. I think about that in relation to teaching too. Like I notice mm. when I, because I do a bunch of different things like you yeah. do, I teach, mm-hmm. I research, I do supervision, I practice, I write, I speak, I mean, all of those pieces. And it seems like they all offer something to the others that when I'm teaching, I get more clarity about what's important. And it feels like I come back to my values, about how I want to practice and never practice. I feel like I have so much more insight into the things that I want to write about and share about. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, I don't know if if there are many people who get to be as lucky Mm -hmm. as we do, where we get to do all these different things and they feed each other and they feed us and they feed other people. And it just feels really like, I don't know, like, I feel like I kind of won the won the job lottery. <laughs> well, it's some ways too. I think that's our personalities. Cause I know that some people, they just kind of find one thing and they lock into it. Like, okay, right. I'm just going to do assessments. And that's all I right. do from exactly. <laughs> nine to eight o'clock at night. It's just yeah. assessments. And, uh, uh-huh. and then other people kind of like you and I, who have tried to kind of spread out, there's some professor, you know, being a professor, being a therapist, yeah. being a speaker, being doing all these different things. So right. it's uh it's a fun time to um, enter into this field because I think that there hasn't always been the same amount of flexibility, mm. at least maybe not the same amount of access to this kind of flexibility, you mm. know, for, for people. And, and really kind of what I'm, what I've been just even talking with other colleagues about is what does it look like to share psychological information or even information about healing specifically around trauma, even mm-hmm. in a public yet online way, mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't, um, What's the right way to put it? Uh, predispose people to harm because it's such a delicate, mm. it's such a delicate process to, to kind of wade through um, the waters and potential storminess of the past, mm-hmm. and to feel confident and feel safe mm. and feel connected not just to yourself but to other people around you without mm-hmm. feeling like you wander into a place where you get re-traumatized and you yes. feel like just shutting down and you feel numb and yes and there's a lot of being, you know, kind of on TikTok, that's kind of one of the main spaces I take up. I've, I've heard a lot of feedback from people. It's like, yeah, these TikTok therapists, mm-hmm. you know, give us like these one minute little sound bites on mm-hmm. what it looks like to go through trauma. And it's really hard to have a, like a comprehensive, full, like nutritious, you know, um, right. take on, on what the actual process looks like outside from, oh, this one minute video got me in my feels, had like a good thing that resonated with me. But now uh-huh. I swipe on to the next video and maybe I just feel right. kind of raw and open. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. there might be some kind of whiplash with that too, right? We access the places inside of us that have deep pain. And then all of a sudden the video's over and we're onto something else. And mm-hmm. because I think trauma is meant to be processed in an embodied and relational way, because the self is an embodied relational process. So are the places that, you know, hold the pain inside of us. It's really hard to do that on social media. Like we can access it, but to resolve it and to process it, that tends to be something that needs some more space, more movement, more time, more connection. And, and so I'm with you. How do we give psychology away? Which is something a former supervisor of mine said, she was Mm -hmm, a a community mm -hmm. psychologist, which is our, our mandate really give it away but not carelessly, not recklessly to not have like the, sh- the shrapnel, um, that exists in people because of their unprocessed traumas get agitated in such a way that the giving away of insight actually perpetuates harm indirectly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so hard to know how to do that. And I think, I mean, if you want to take the conversation there, I have some ideas about that, but I just think I, yeah. I empathize with your, the conflict internally, yeah. how do we be responsible to people? How do we make what we offer our communities, um, be something that is, is healing mm. instead of just, um, disruptive, even though it's well, well-meaning. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that our field is trying to nail down right now. Mm. And I see it because I remember in school, just professors being like, don't have a social media account. Like, mm-hmm. don't, you know, don't yeah. even, don't even uh, be discoverable to your clients online mm-hmm. in any form. And then in, me in a sense, kind of breaking away from that and being like, well, okay, I'm going to create like a public professional profile, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's, there's a boundary there. And then, um, I think even with COVID there's been a lot of expansion around the idea of, I could see a counselor over zoom. I could see a counselor Mm -hmm. online. And Mm -hmm. while that was an option before it didn't, it wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. very like, there weren't a lot of therapists who were trained on it. Like that wasn't a normal part of most therapist practice was online therapy. Right. And so I feel like in the past five years, maybe even in particular, there's been this push towards, okay, psychological information, even access to a counselor can be accessed online with the, with, uh, and with that comes more access, but also a greater sense of detachment because mm-hmm. I'm not in the room sensing your body language, sensing, mm-hmm. you know, your microfacial expressions, um, you know, noticing when your face kind of goes pale, you know, those mm-hmm. things are harder to access in a medium like this. In the whole field, mm-hmm. I think there's a philosophical, almost ontological question that we're asking about is, is healing and a, a transfer of information is, is that what heals is like getting the right information from the right educational resources. Is it like, like what we were saying, this relational dynamic, it, it, does that relational dynamic become transformed if it's over an online medium or can that still be maintained? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or is there something necessary, fundamental about an embodied you and me in a room sitting there over years, um, mm-hmm. potentially that, mm-hmm. that if we don't have that, then we're at a loss of something. So th- that's, mm-hmm. that's the domain of thought that I've been reflecting a lot yeah. about what, what comes to mind for you as I'm yeah, asking all those questions. Yeah. I mean, these are such good questions. I found myself asking at the beginning of the pandemic too, like feeling the loss of moving to online work and yet asking the question, is that because of a loss of something that was necessary or is that because of loss of a uh, more imminence of connection or is that the loss of something that's more about my preference? Because I've noticed as I've combed the literature 
about this, that there are some therapies for some presenting concerns that are actually more efficacious for online and certain populations who are being mm. able to have access to therapy that wouldn't otherwise. So if I step outside of the domain of just asking what, what am I most comfortable with? What am I most used to? And ask who can I now reach and who, who is, who's sitting across from me in the online space and what's their experience of it. Then mm -hmm. it allows me to say, I think in a more congruent way with the heart of the way that I want to practice is what we're doing here, good work. And I don't get to be the one exclusively who decides that it's something mm -hmm. that the dyad, that's something that we together mm -hmm. get to discern. So one of the things that I've become accustomed to, or at least that I've the one, of the ways I've tried to answer the questions that we're asking or resolve some of the conflict inside of me. Um, some colleagues and I published a paper right after the pandemic came out about working online, mm -hmm. um, especially when we're using process experiential kinds of therapies, how do we work online in an efficacious way when we feel so disembodied? And one of the things that I found it's, so it's in the paper for people who are curious about reading, reading that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I'll just kind of jump, jump to the punchline here, which mm -hmm. is that there is a way to transfer responsibility to the client to practice and kind of introspective or personal awareness, embodied awareness, because I can't do it all for them. So especially mm -hmm. with clients that we have a relationship with already, where if I was in a session with them, I could say, see your knee is bouncing. I'm wondering if we have, if we can make some room for the part of you that's in your knee, trying to tell us something about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And now when I'm sitting across from someone, I can't see their bouncing knees. I can say to a client, I can't see your body, but you know, what's going on in your body. So can you bring awareness into your body and tell me if there's something inside that's trying to communicate with us? And can you self-report, can you assess, can you attune to, and can you self-report in a way that's getting people to rehearse a skill that they can carry with them wherever they go? So ideally I could do that for them by doing that kind of micro attunement you're talking to, yeah. but discharging to the other person, the capacity in a supported way to attune to themselves is ultimately what we want people to be able to do. And I think that moving online is kind of kickstarted that for a lot of people. So how do we adapt as a therapist? How are we meeting the needs of the client? How are they experiencing the shift to online and who can now access therapy that couldn't before? And what do they feel about it? I mean, those are really important questions that when we look at psychotherapy from the kind of Eurocentric, um, kind of maybe cognitive biased patriarchal lens that so much of the field of talk therapy has come from, we can see that there's a tradition of feminist therapists, womanist therapists, of people of color, healers from lots of different communities and kind of identities who have been saying for a long time, the way that therapy was done, that was considered the gold standard excludes an entire community of people who can't get to an office mm -hmm. who have too much, um, kind of the, the anxiety is so loud that they can't leave their space. Uh, they don't feel safe being in an office for whatever reason, because of what it means to write, fill in the blank here. And now we get to ask the question, who can feel okay coming to therapy now because we have different avenues. Right. I think you bring up something so good where in some ways, like we've been really loyal to this model of, okay, I sit in a chair, you sit on a couch mm -hmm. and we'll be in this, you know, quiet office building and we'll talk for an hour. And that's, that's like uh, the gold standard. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that actually the access to do something online creates accessibility for people mm-hmm. that, that perhaps couldn't access that model or where that model yeah. wasn't beneficial for them. Um, yeah. Like I have, I have some clients that, that are in, intensely socially anxious mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, that's been a struggle for several years. And, and I have a couple clients in, in my work where I've actually passing notes back and forth has been more mm-hmm. helpful than having direct mm-hmm. conversation, especially just initially. And yeah, that actually exactly. the chat, the chat feature on a zoom works really <laughs> great for that. You know, uh-huh, it's, exactly. yeah. it's a little goofy. I mean, people, is that therapy? It's like, well, if, I mean, that's what the person needs right now. And we're giving people more mm-hmm. tools to, to approach healing or to approach psychotherapy in a way that is comfortable for them. And so yes. kind of giving it, it's a gesture of empowerment to the other person to say, here's right. more options. Cause of course, in-person yes. therapy is still available for a lot of people. And yeah. so people can pursue that if that's something that they want, mm-hmm. um, Here's just another way that you can access that. There's, You're bringing up the, oh yeah. Do you want to go ahead? Well, I was, I was going to book in that with yeah, this yeah. thought of I, the actual response that I've seen in people, whether I'm talking about friends or clients has been either that the idea of online therapy feels even more intimidating because it's, mm. it's like, oh, I don't want to be recorded or I don't want to be, mm-hmm. um, what if someone hacks that or mm-hmm. it feels detached. Like I, I can't, it's like, I can't get a good read on my therapist. I'm worried that they're judging me or what. So there's, mm. there's like a heightened anxiety around that mm-hmm. or it's far less. It's like, oh, it's way easier than being in person. It's way more accessible. Mm-hmm. I don't have to drive anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really almost comes down to the individual that for some people that's going to feel like, oh, this really creates a lot more mm-hmm. fluidity in my process. And for other people, it's a way bigger boundary. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in kind of thinking through that and all just my reactions at first blush are if we come to the therapeutic relationship from an attachment lens, which is that you and I are in relationship and I will attune to you regardless of the space that we meet in. Mm-hmm. What I found in some of my clients is that no matter what the reaction is that they have, that they experience that we're still connected. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool that so many variables can change. A pandemic can sweep through our lives. You know, I can move to a different city that they can be now in their home and we can be meeting still here. We are connected after all of this, but there are so many things that are in the way and yet still none of them are in the way of us being able to be in connection with each other. And so I think making that explicit is a way to reinforce the attachment link. Like, look, here we are. Can you still feel me with you? Cause I still feel with you and I can still feel you with me. And when we are explicit about that, I think what it does is it deepens the attachment relationship if we let it. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece that comes up for me is thinking about, you know, Yalom talks about everything is grist for the mill. So if somebody has felt really attuned to us and it, um, kind of attuned to by us, and then we move online and there's this heightened anxiety, guess what? There's another part of their story that I didn't know before that now we can work with. And because we have the felt sense of safety uh, that came from being in a room together, that we can actually do a little bit of work on the fact that something new is in the room. And let's figure out where did that come from? And how can we help you feel safe? And what is it like for you to tell me about feeling more anxious? And how is it that you didn't before and you do now? And how do we create ease in your body with that new thing that's stirring in you? So I just, I guess I think about everything that emerges as an opportunity to heal deeper and to connect more richly. And as a result, none of the things that we could experience as barriers actually feel like that to me. So I might be disappointed, like, oh, I really like seeing, you know, seeing that person in their body, in the room and having the data, but 
it doesn't really feel like a loss if the way that we work around it is really explicit and attuned. Oh, I so, yeah, I so resonate with that because, mm. and that's something I, I've loved about your work for a long time is your, your reflex to, to go towards something with curiosity. And mm. where most people see something as a boundary, something we need to work around. You kind of just dive right into it. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. let's explore the hesitations. Let's explore yeah. the distance that we feel like let's, let's explore which ways are we still connected? Which ways aren't mm-hmm. we? And I think that that of course is, is just a wonderful way to, to kind of approach clients or, you know, if, if someone's listening, hoping to connect that way with their therapist, mm-hmm. even to kind of preempt a conversation like that would be really rich. The, the complication I can see for someone listening would be like, okay, but how do I establish that bond? Like with a new therapist, mm-hmm. with like a new thing, mm-hmm. all, all these feel like to me are boundaries. I feel super vulnerable. I feel mm-hmm. super weird. Now I'm looking at myself on camera and I have to stare at my, <laughs> I have to stare mm-hmm. at my zoom, you know, feed yes. this as well. Yeah. Um, and they're asking me a bunch of personal questions and I don't know yeah. who they are. And, and yeah. as you and I know, the first several sessions, I mean, is of course, establishing relationship, but mm-hmm. also trying to know the person. And so it can feel kind of like an interview and I don't know what, what comes to mind for you yeah. as far as establishing a therapeutic bond with a therapist and in a medium that feels part- particularly mm. uncomfortable for you. Mm-hmm. What comes to mind? Oh, I love your questions because to me, and this is my, you know, this is my psycho- psychologist brain doing the analysis here. It <laughs> yeah. says, I wonder how many of those barriers are just being projected onto zoom, mm-hmm. but exist even before there was an online platform. So when we're trying to connect with somebody and all we see are ways that we cannot let ourselves be known and be seen. And all we see are barriers to feeling open to that, like the the zoom platform, the online platform just becomes another avenue for us to project our anxieties and our fears and our shames onto. And so it doesn't actually feel like a barrier to me. Right. When I, I hear someone say that I'm, I think inside, Ooh, okay. This is probably how the person moves through the world. And they're, I'm so grateful that they're being explicit with me about Mm -hmm. how it's connected to this platform, because we can actually do something about it here. Mm -hmm. We can actually do something with the parts inside that have emerged to protect them from actually Mm -hmm. dropping the guard and being attuned to being really seen in the places inside that hurt. So again, it doesn't really feel like a barrier for me when people have that stuff come up because all of a sudden they're telling me about it. And I'm, I just get to say, well, thank you for putting that on the table. Like, let's actually work with that. And let's assume buy in with me. Let's assume that this thing that's happening between us right now happens in lots of other contexts. And now because it's here live in front of us, we actually get to work with it. So I think I'd probably say that directly to someone. I think it's amazing. Mm, yeah, I thank love that. you. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's great in, in mm-hmm. the sense that it kind of puts someone at ease because yeah, whatever medium there is, I, I mean I felt all of those same things. I've I've seen therapists, even as a therapist myself mm-hmm. online and in person, and and somehow being a therapist doesn't immunize me to all the jitters mm-hmm. and fears of meeting someone new and being vulnerable <laughs> right? and yeah. noticing all those things that pop up in my head. Mm-hmm. But once you establish that warm connection with someone, I'm just like, Oh, okay. Hey, I was vulnerable and yeah. I'm still safe. Or, oh, right. I, I said the thing that I was worried they would judge me and that I'd be rejected yeah. for. And they responded with warmth. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's almost like the medium kind of melts away, whether mm-hmm. that's me sitting in a you know, a fluffy chair in an office that's decorated in a way that is different (laughs) than than I would decorate my office or even on a Mm -hmm. zoom call, having to stare at and 
obsessively look over my own facial expressions <laughs> to see how I'm looking in the conversation. Right. It's, it's that can melt away once there's that mm-hmm. connection. And then a lot of those apprehensions, a lot of the fears around, yeah. is this medium right for me or not? That's melt right. away when the warm connection is established. Yeah. And so your question, like, how do we do that when there are so many barriers is a good one. And I think it takes like, does come back to the conversation of power that we were talking about already, mm-hmm. like access and power and attachment relationships, which, you know, my, my bias is it's my job to be the one to reach towards someone really explicitly in a way that helps them overcome the felt sense of fear of, of being exposed. And in a way, it's my job as the one who has a lot of power in the relationship to be responsible for dissolving it. And so what that means is you know, that I'm thinking about the ways constantly that I can give a person back some power. So do you want to know a little bit about me? Do you want to see my space? Would it be helpful if I turn the camera around so that you could see where you, you know, where you are in my world here and having things that really meet the person where they're at really say, this is not just a hierarchy where you are the, you're the defective one and I'm the healer, but this is a relationship Mm. in which we get to be human together. And Mm. I've noticed that, that it's, you know, bringing up a lot of interesting stuff for people around me being a parent. I'm a new parent since we recorded Mm -hmm. last time. Mm -hmm. And so every once in a while, you know, my daughter's in the background and she's protesting something with whom, whomever's caring for her, or she's like, I don't want to go for a nap and I'm going to tell everyone about it. Or, you know, I miss mom or whatever she's trying to say in her really young infant way. And it's so interesting for people to experience my world because of, because of meeting online and because they're in my home in a way that helps them see like, Oh, you have a kid who cries too. Or like, Oh, you are in a home where you know, someone comes to the door and rings the doorbell while you're in the middle of work and it's disruptive. Like, Oh, we're human together. Like being in an office where there is this perfectly curated space is a way to create a relational container where everything is, is perfect, but it's a power move. Like you come to my space and you come here and you do, you come to me And I think that when we're looking at healing from a feminist perspective, what actually needs to happen is we dissolve the power hierarchy. And one way to do that is to say, I'll be human with you too, or I'll come to you. And so I think about reframing that for people with online work by saying, maybe it feels a little weird to do therapy in your home because you want to go away from where you live your life to process Mm -hmm. your stuff and leave it in Mm -hmm. someone's office. And we have the added benefit of you and I building a relationship on your turf, which means that you have memories in your home of accessing connection, safety, and a deep knowing inside of you. And you don't have to leave that in my office. That's happening in your home, in your space, which means that you have access to the thing that we're doing inside any moment of any day, 24, seven, everything that we learn and grow and change and heal together is available for you. It's yours for the taking in your space. And in a way I'm coming to them in their home. So I think when we dissolve hierarchies, when we share power, when we, we look for ways to come towards the client, again, this is something that meeting online can allow us to do if we're looking for it, if we're open to see it as such. I've never thought of that. Mm. I, I love the idea that on the front end, maybe doing something over zoom or an online therapy session feels more detached, but in other ways, Mm -hmm. it's way more grounded in your home. Mm. 
It's grounded in your space. Mm -hmm. I've even noticed that as a therapist, because the interruptions either in my life or in the other person's life happen in real time Mm -hmm. too. And, and, and there's, it's almost like there's a different level of exposure, but when that's met with warmth, not with Mm -hmm. any sort of judgment or anything like, you know, it's, it can be, it can be really healing and powerful and you can feel really Mm -hmm. seen. It can actually open up new trust in new ways. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I, Oh, sorry. I was going to say that the, your, your discussion on the power differential too is, is really interesting because I've noticed this. I haven't really been able to put words to it. So my therapy sessions are done with the same camera that I do all my TikTok videos on. So it's mm-hmm. this setting right here for people listening. It's my lamp and it's my, you mm-hmm. know, brick wall behind me and my therapy mm-hmm. chair. And, and so people are often shocked when they sign in for their first therapy session with me, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, it's like, I'm talking to the video right. that I've seen on Instagram <laughs> or that I've seen on TikTok and it's talking back to me. Right, it's so right. weird. Yeah. And I look precisely the same that's like right. you know and yeah. uh we're in the same jacket we're in the same you know same microphone yeah, yeah, yeah. everything yeah and and there's this shock that washes over their face at first like oh my gosh I'm and and I've noticed mm-hmm. I haven't been able to put words to it. it's like oh man I just brought them into my space mm-hmm. and and they feel and it's almost like I've been on stage you know and then I just brought them on stage mm-hmm. and then they feel maybe subconsciously the attention not just Yes. Me, the attention of the, the, the masses, uh, the symbol of me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And all the people that they know watch your work. And I think mm-hmm. this is where like I default to my phenomenological and process-based work, which is, I wouldn't know how a person would experience that except if I asked them. So I think right. my instinct would be to say, how is that for you? Does that feel like you know, does it feel exposing? Does it feel comforting? Cause maybe they've built a kind of trust relationship with the image of you, the object mm-hmm. of you that they have a, a connection with mm-hmm. online and being invited into that is like, Oh, I know what I'm going to expect. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what to expect. I know what's going to happen. This is something there's continuity here, yeah. or maybe a person feels exposed. And I guess I wouldn't know how they would re- react mm-hmm. unless I asked them. So I'd be curious to know, you know, if, ask them directly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and like, how is this for you? And I've seen that acted out. Mm-hmm. Like for some people, they're delighted. It's like, mm. they're like, oh, so fun. Like, this is great. Yeah. Like, this is ex- kind of like what you said. This is exactly what I expected. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and what I try to do just maybe this is just my style and personality too, but I really try to be disarming and not mm-hmm. too professional and too, you know, like uptight. Like I, I make jokes. I usually start with all smiles at the beginning and, and, uh, you know, try to have some sort of small talk. That's actually kind of part of my theoretical orientation a little bit is like, is the advantageous, you know, nature of just a very human, almost just like, let's talk about the weather kind of conversation at the beginning, you know, cause that, that puts people at ease. I think people walk into a therapy session, like crap, I have to talk about my trauma. I have to talk about something so deep and overwhelming. And, and so being able to kind of just Oh, okay. I'm, I'm in a human conversation with another human person. And then we walk into personal spaces after the after the uh, the sage on the hill, we talked about this in our last conversation. Mm-hmm. The sage on the hill comes down the mountain, and you see him just mm-hmm. kind of in a normal light. Like like with some people, especially if I notice it's an anxious reaction to seeing my video for the first time, I'll turn the camera around and I'll show him my office, and or I'll I'll make sure to be like sipping coffee or like eating a tangerine or something that isn't very I don't know, like small subtle body language hints that this is normal. Um, mm-hmm. is, and, and maybe another layer that I've found, you know, confusing is people are really ready to get advice from me. And that was actually 
disorienting at first because I was I I was a therapist before I kind of blew up on TikTok or Instagram or anything. And every single one of my clients had no idea who I was before they come came into the therapy session. And then there was this shift where I became known on the internet. And then everyone knew who I was and had these preformed expectations of who I was and mm. had in a symbolic relationships with my work. Yeah. And so you know, a normal occurrence was sign in for the first session, see my camera rig. They're like, oh, this is exactly, you know, what I've experienced on I'm TikTok. Get a sound bite from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they'll share their story and then they're eager to get sound bites or eager to get solutions and quick, quick skills or fixes. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm being honest, there was a part of my ego that was kind of excited about that. Like, oh, cool. Someone wants to hear my opinions and my thoughts mm-hmm. and, and noticed my, my like feedback in session was very much advicey for maybe a good like mm. six months. Mm-hmm. Um, it just shifted that way. And then I, I was listening to a lecture in motivational interviewing, which for those of you who don't know that the, the, one of the premises of motivational interviewing is it's not so you, you don't give advice and you don't try to give direct feedback on what you think they should do. You're trying to help someone connect with their values and connect with what's important to them and resolve ambivalence, not through someone giving direct feedback of you should do this instead of this, but instead someone essentially holding up a mirror and being like, this is kind of what I hear you saying. It sounds like you're you know uncertain about this thing, but this thing also really matters to you. And so it's very, um, Rogerian, it's very uh, indirect, but it's super helpful. It had the efficacy of the of that style of therapy is really, really, um, yeah, it's really efficacious. And so I I heard this lecture and I and I was like, okay, I got it for another day of sessions. I'm gonna go back to like kind of like a more indirect, less advicey mm-hmm. kind of style. I'm gonna go back to just reflecting and and using this method. And then I just noticed this emotion rise up in me of like, oh, I miss giving the advice and being the one to turn on the light switch. I miss the the facial expression mm-hmm. of awe that they'd give me when I said the thing that inspired the aha moment mm-hmm. and and uh, noticed that, oh, there was so much about me that was sinking into this therapy session that, that wasn't preferring the other. And perhaps I was enjoying some of the power differential that I mm-hmm. actually am obligated to you know, subvert and, and bring mm-hmm. into a more human space. And yeah. then, and then even seeing a subtle shift in my clients that when I stopped being the TikTok advice guy and then moved mm-hmm. back into my training and, and the therapeutic space that was um, higher in fidelity to a, to a more reflective kind of mode that they actually made far more progress mm-hmm. <laughs> in therapy. They actually, uh, <laughs> that they found it really refreshing and, and the therapeutic rapport actually got a lot warmer too. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a really powerful um, lesson for me, I guess, just in my process mm-hmm. as a professional of just noticing this shift in my sessions when people were eager to hear my advice, noticing mm-hmm. my excitement and my enthusiasm to want to share my views as any human would. Mm-hmm. Um, but then reminding myself of why I'm here and then to actually pull back. And even when I have an idea that they might find exciting to withhold it for the sake of bringing out the wisdom in their experience right. and the wisdom in their yeah. body. And Oof, it takes so much all of that to, say, to do that. That was a, that was a, maybe a, not crisis is too strong of a word. That was a, mm. uh, um, a fork in the road that technology uniquely, I think brought me into. Um, yeah. And the that way that has, you, Go, yeah, ahead, go ahead, please. I was just to book on that, but just saying that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 
as part of this online medium, part of an online presence as a clinician, I had to go through the, the um, ups and downs in the internal process of, mm. of starting a therapeutic relationship with rapport already there that I didn't have a hand in building. Mm-hmm. And then, and then how that resonated or doesn't resonate with my own desire to be seen and heard and yeah. respected and praised. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's a process. I don't know. So what are your reflections on that? As I share oh, that process, what comes to yeah, mind? Yeah. Yeah. What comes to mind is the, the way that the parasocial relationship of social media can make, well, it can have so many different impacts on the therapeutic process. It can imbue trust in a relationship where maybe there shouldn't be any yet because it hasn't been earned or it's kind yes. of like, again, in the parasocial nature, it's like, it's through constructing the idea of a guru. Um, Mm -hmm. that we see in a way that actually takes us away from our own wisdom and our ability to connect and slow down and, and create a process inside of us where we stop looking to another person to solve our problems. So, so, so social media in a way, like, I just, I feel, I feel like it's too complicated to say it's good or bad. Right. Of course, (laughs) you know, we can't, it's so nuanced, but I'm just aware of how many times people have also come in to work with me since my work has become more public mm-hmm. and have decided that I can save them. Yeah. And actually what that has done for me, I'm just, I'm noticing the difference in reactions. Like that has felt really scary and dehumanizing for me. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah. both where it has felt like I'm being made into an object in a way that doesn't allow for me to be human in the room. And so my, I think probably because of my own stuff and how hard I've worked to feel like I can really inhabit myself as I am in an authentic way, I really push back on those situations. So at times, instead of leaning into it and like, oh, this feels good. I've actually been like, <laughs> I, we can't work together. Yeah. We yeah, can't work together because, because I can't help you be human if you don't let me be human. Mm. And I'm just noticing how, yeah, maybe how I feel different about that now than I yeah. would have at that time. I, I wouldn't have had so much of a reaction to it where I would say like, if you think I'm going to save you, I'm probably not the person to work with you. Like maybe now I'd explore that a little bit more, but I feel really resistant to the idea that, um, yeah, that, that being somebody's hero or guru is healing ultimately for them in the end, because what I want to do is create a space inside of them. Like we talked about, like Mm -hmm. accessing knowing inside of them that is understood and experienced and encountered through a relationship, but not where I'm the person who dispenses wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, it's a helpful dynamic even to, you know, think about, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking about trying to find a therapist or, and you're looking online, that's what we try to do. We're trying to get a reference for what this person is going to be like. Mm. And, and whether you're looking on a site like psychology today, or um, maybe you follow someone on social media and maybe they have openings or don't, it's, it's, you know, it's important to kind of key into like some of these dynamics when you're mm-hmm. starting these initial sessions, because I think what I'm, you know, what we're kind of talking about is like, this is actually probably like a, a normal develop, developmental quote unquote stage of, of having an online presence. And then also offering clinical mm-hmm. sessions is you have to reckon with how do you deal with someone who walks in with a good opinion of you? Mm-hmm. And if you use that to, you know, indulge your own opinions and excitement and mm-hmm. you kind of bask in it, and then you lean into that, that, that might not lead to healthy outcomes. It might not be mm-hmm. malicious on their end. Like 
-hmm. they might be figuring it out the same as anybody, but, um, in a sense, like you, you, the, maybe a sign of maturity, um, and someone who is offering that is, is that they're aware of that dynamic. And then they really try to disrupt the power differential to bring this space back into the wisdom and, and the experience that you're bringing into mm. the room. And I've had therapists that feel like they can solve my problems and give advice. And the advice sounds cool on the front end. And I was enthusiastic <laughs> to see it, but it's the therapist who actually were pretty quiet and talked less of the time and, and drew my attention to my own experience, not even in a, an abrasive or, you know, hyper direct way, but in a, but in a way that modeled for me a way that I could do that with myself that led to something really refreshing and something rejuvenating. Mm. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to mm -hmm. summarize that into something like yeah. a key takeaway. How would you, oh. how would you summarize? <laughs> yeah. My, maybe my takeaways would be, um, counter transference and transference need to be explored, right? The ways yeah, that yeah. when, yeah. when clients come into a session, so I'll speak to clients, right. Of which mm -hmm. I am one, I believe I go to therapy. Yeah. I believe in therapy. So I'll put myself Same. in this in this bin that as clients, we need to be aware that we're always walking into therapeutic relationships with projections with mm -hmm. we're transferring patterns of connection onto the therapist that we learned out in the world and that we learned growing up and that social media is just another avenue of that. And so if it wasn't social media, it would be, well, my friend gave me the name of the therapist and my friend was really helped by the, this therapist. And so therefore I'm expecting them to help me or I went to a therapist and they didn't help me. And so I'm going to go to this new therapist. And of course they can't help me either. Like we're always mm -hmm. walking in with assumptions about what's going to happen. And the more we can be aware of that, the more we can explore what gets in the way of connecting, what gets in the way of us exploring what's really going on inside of us and how we can heal some of those dynamics if they really are from the past, but don't need to show up in the present. And then I think in terms of the counter-transferential piece, I would say, for us to be therapists, we also, we always need to be curious about how people's projections onto us stuffs up stuff for us. If it mm -hmm. makes us feel agitated or insecure or proud or, you know, whatever happens, can we be curious and attentive to that and think mm -hmm. about how it gets in the way of us seeing the stuff that's coming up for the person because we, our own stuff gets stirred up yeah. and can yeah. we can we be explicit about naming the transferential pieces? Can mm. we explicitly name the projections and work with them and love mm. them and thank them and invite them to be there, but also get some room for them from them at the same yeah. time. So they're not kind of running the show and mm. social media, as I said already, just feels like another way that that shows up in the room. And when we see it as mm. such, like many of us in our clinical training, ideally as therapists have learned how to work with transference and counter transference. And then we can just do the things that we've been trained to do, just make those things explicit, get supervision. And as clients, maybe the takeaway is notice what assumptions you have walking in and get curious about if they're about that person or if they're about things that have happened before. So well summarized. That's mm. so, so good. Oh, thank you. That's great. That's kind of you. We haven't gotten to to talk about your book yet. I, mm. I've loved to have been reading through it. I haven't finished oh, it yet. I got thanks. maybe halfway in. Can you give me mm. just like a little synopsis for people reading about what you've been exploring the past couple of years? Yeah. So the book is about embodiment and embodiment is this notion that we are not just heads being carried around by these neat taxis of bodies, but we're actually 
we are a body and our body is the place where cognition happens. It's the place where connection happens. It's the place where presence happens. And ultimately why it's hard to be in our bodies because our bodies are a place where pain and aging and death and illness and incarceration and trauma and, um, you know, these, these experiences of being less than and being seen as objects and marginalization, all of those things happen in the body too. So, um, being connected to our body is often a painful thing because it means connecting to the places where we are fragmented out by society and fragment each other and fragment ourselves. But ultimately when we are connected to our body and we can tune into our bodies and the reasons why we left our bodies in the first place, we have an avenue to be whole again. We can come back more into, into fullness of being ourselves. And I think the premise ultimately beyond that, that I'm trying to make with the book is that when we are whole and we are whole people as individuals, we can build societies in which our wholeness is protected and we can dismantle some of the structures that cause us to be at odds with ourselves and each other. Yeah. I love that. You know, what's cool about, you know, as I was reading through it, being someone who's followed your work for a while, it's like, man, there's just, there's certain works I've noticed with different authors that it's like so many different pieces that I've heard over so many different, you know, either podcasts Mm. or books. It's like, they all kind of come together and it's, there's this unity of ideas of like, oh, okay, I've had pieces of this in different spaces and I figured out that they can click together. And, Mm -hmm. And I was reading this, I'm like, oh man, this is, such a beautiful expression of what I've been hearing from her for mm, the past, you know, seven years. You. And it really kind of does swirl around this ideal of, of embodiment. And yeah. And what's cool about the book too is as you explore it in your own story, you have a lot of vulnerability in this book. You explore it in terms of mm. trauma. And you explore mm-hmm. it in terms of like sensuality and sexuality and connection with people. You explore it like in all these different domains and so that was in part why i was mm. interested to pick your yeah. brain on an online you know connection yeah, to people because right. i'm like yeah. yeah i just wonder how embodiment kind of i don't know works itself into just this new technological age that we're working yes. in, in a therapeutic relationship yeah, yeah absolutely yeah we have to be creative right? Because it's so much easier when I'm in my body with another person to reach over and touch their foot with my foot and say you're here in the room with me and your foot knows that because your foot can feel my foot. You're not the two-year-old anymore. You're not the 18-year-old. Feel my foot in your adult foot, right? Like those kinds of things when we're doing trauma processing are extremely useful. And so we have to kind of like work around them and there are definitely ways to do that. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's such an important part of doing processing work to not ignore what's going on in the body or devalue it, but to invite it in and to welcome it as not only the place where the trauma is held, but also the place where the healing and the connection can happen. That's so good. Well, I'm so thankful for your time. Great conversation as always. I feel like we could talk for another three hours about all sorts of things. So we'll we'll have to follow it up with another one. We'll do it again. Do another one. (laughs) Round three. We're coming at you. Thank you so much, Hillary. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.